listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host, I'm Mike Gaston, and this is episode number 114-114. Glad to have you guys along. I'm recording this on Monday, January 24th, 2020. Usually I record on Sundays, but we're out a day here. Uh, I was having a little bit of trouble, actually, with the content. I, I tried so many times to record this thing yesterday and eventually just had to admit to myself, it's not happening. I just I just don't have it. And so I gave it a rest, but I want to give a shout out to my good friend and show listener, Dave Danglis. Dave helped me talk through and think about some of the content, provide me some great links. And uh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get this thing done, kids. Now, when I say get it done, I'm not saying I want to get it over with. I love doing this podcast, but I was struggling to deliver and uh, it feels really good to be back behind the mic. We'll give this another try. So today I want to talk about an interesting article and the concept behind it that shows up in The Federalist. Now, thefederalist.com is a conservative, quasi-conservative online publication. I want to say Ben Dominich is behind it. Ben's had a bit of a checkered history. He got in, I want to say, some trouble when he was younger. Maybe, I don't know if there were accusations of that he was borrowing other people's content. Maybe he was, his content wasn't original. I don't know, but he's kind of moved past that. I mean, that was quite a while ago. And The Federalist is an interesting publication. I've enjoyed it. I don't. I used to read it pretty regularly back in the day. I haven't really gone and read it on a regular basis for years, I, 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 many years. But I like some of the writers there. There's some really good thinkers, and I've discovered some interesting people. Uh, Peter Burfide is one, wrote a phenomenal book on Gnosticism in America. I discovered him. He's a Lutheran pastor, actually, and a writer. I discovered him on The Federalist. He had an article about Gnosticism, ended up buying the book. This was many years ago. Read the book. We spent an hour on the phone talking. Somebody I follow now on social media. Uh, Molly Hemingway is another good one. Ben Dominich has some good things to submit and provide. Um, And you'll see some of these folks as pundits as well. Molly Hemingway, I think, shows up on Fox and maybe maybe Ben Dominich does as well. Anyway, uh, I just want to give you an idea of what The Federalist is. If there's any you know question, like uh, you get an idea of kind of the background, at least my background with it. So the title of the article is Why Ruling Class Minions Are So Suddenly Doing Damage Control on COVID. It was published on January 18th, just about a week ago, not quite, uh, by Stella Morabito. And it's a good article. I'll post a link to it in the show notes below. But essentially, you and I are all seeing this. I mean, there's a lot of almost backtracking. You have people like uh, liberal, leftist, progressive news media. You've got CDC officials. You have... Uh, you know, I say liberal leftists. I mean, even people like Brian Stetzer. I mean, people out there, CDC director, different voices that have been pretty public in Corona and COVID and lockdowns and vaccinations and death counts and all this kind of stuff. Backtracking a little bit. They're saying, hey, you know, uh, things aren't as bad. Uh, maybe they're getting better. Uh, maybe we maybe we misestimated uh, some of the numbers. Maybe the deaths weren't as many as we thought they were. Maybe we've been misreporting a little bit or misinterpreting. So when we're talking about 
COVID hospitalizations, they're starting to get a little bit more nuanced about people hospitalized because of COVID versus people people hospitalized that just happen to have COVID at the same time. And well, that really makes a difference in the reporting. And like, there's a lot of this kind of almost coming clean, if you will. And you see it in the media. And it's interesting because I think a lot of us that have been saying for a long time, hey, guys, you got it wrong. You're not recording the data correctly. You're misrepresenting the numbers. And and hey, you know, we're, we're trying to protect lives, but what a, we're not talking or even considering or admitting there might be other costs to shutdowns and lockdowns, uh, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, uh, domestic violence, suicide, depression. I mean, you know, all these things that we've tried to get people to talk about. You know, we've criticized the number, the Johns Hopkins numbers, the, the uh, you know, statistical questions that actually one of the Johns Hopkins researchers uh, was asking an economics professor that was running statistics saying, hold on a second, this doesn't make sense. And then, of course, quickly had to be hushed in, in, in memory hold. And it's just all this kind of stuff. Well, now you, we're seeing the elites come out and say, well, hold on. We may have been a little bit off here. Let's do a better job. Let's, let's be more accurate. Let's be, let's be more thoughtful about how we're doing this. And, and so to folks like us that have been decrying these discrepancies and these inaccuracies and these f- seemingly willful misrepresentations, we're saying, oh, look at this. The truth is finally coming out. The truth that they're admitting it. They're, they're, they're not going to hide it anymore. They're, they're being a little bit more honest. We're seeing hope. We're seeing maybe this thing's over. Maybe we've turned a corner. Maybe, maybe it's gotten to the point where it's too much to, to hide the truth. And so now they're having to fess up to it. They're just being forced to come clean. Now, this article by Stella Morbido uh, would argue otherwise. She said, don't be fooled by this. She's saying this is what's called a limited hangout, a limited hangout. And I was, I read that and I thought, I've never heard the term limited hangout before. The term comes from the Watergate administration. And it's a term that's, it's a tactic or a technique uh, that's used by intelligence agencies. So essentially, a limited hangout, uh, it's espionage jargon. And essentially what it is, it's a strategy. Like when you've got to acknowledge the facts when your cover story is blown, like your cover story is blown. And so somehow you've got to protect the bigger operation. And so one way to do that is to kind of acknowledge the facts in a way that kind of make it look like you're coming clean, but at the same time, it preserves, it protects the bigger operation. And so there's this illusion that you've been honest and then people are like, oh, look at that, honesty, thank you. Okay, good, thanks for coming clean. So you could talk about the Watergate scandal, if any of you remember what that is, I, my, my, my more mature and wise, and I say wise not because you're smart, but because you're older, and you've done enough stupid things that you know better. But my, my more mature and wise, wiser uh, listeners will remember Watergate. My younger and, and less experienced, although I've met some wise young people uh, in my day, you, you may not be as familiar with it, but essentially this was the Nixon White House and they had perpetrated a burglary 
on the National Democratic Committee headquarters in Washington, D.C. at the Watergate Hotel. And they tried to, they broke in, they stole documents, but they got caught. Like this whole thing came out, this happened. And so Nixon knew that this was going to sink his ship and so did everything he could to try to deny that he had any involvement with it or that it had anything to do with him because he was trying to avoid the consequences of getting caught doing this dirty deed. Illegal deed, by the way. So from the transcripts, uh, there's a reference to the term. That wasn't invented by them, I don't think. This is just something, but I, th I think this is something that comes out of Watergate. This limited hangout is probably a thing that the CIA has done forever. I don't know. Or maybe this was, maybe this was uh, invented th through this dialogue. But essentially, Nixon asked his advisors, I'm going to read a quote here. You think we want to go this route now? And the, the let it hang out, so to speak, Bob Heldeman and John Dean assured him it was a, quote, limited hangout. John Ehrlichman then chimed in, quote, a modified limited hangout. So you talk about this idea of the limited hangout. So what they were going to do is they were going, going to acknowledge that there was a burglary uh, and, and they're going to um, leak an official report, quote unquote, that showed there was no White House involvement. So essentially... They got caught and they're going to say, oh, yeah, there absolutely was a, a burglary. And at the same time, they're going to leak this official internal report that had been conducted that showed, oh, no, the White House had nothing to do with it. So the idea was we're going to admit it, but we're going to cover ourselves. And this was the idea of the hangout. You let it hang out there, but then you take the teeth, the venom out of this thing and you lie and you use subterfuge and that protects you. The bigger operation in this instance being that Nixon got to keep his presidency, which uh, those of you that remember history will know he actually ended up resigning to avoid being impeached. Rather than being impeached, he, he decided to resign his office. First time that it ever happened. All right, so that's how that happened. And some modern, more modern examples would be the, the Hillary Clinton emails. You had the, the Clinton server. She had this private email server. She was Secretary of State under uh, Barack Hussein Obama. And um, she had a private email server. I think it was like 30,000, some ridiculous number of emails. A lot of them like highly classified emails on the server. She was claiming that, no, this was just a backup. She didn't realize that. And this was illegal, by the way. State Department, all this, you, you were not allowed to do this. Everything has to go through and be controlled and maintained by the government. You can't have a private email server. Why would you have a private email server? I mean, spend, I mean, forget the partisan BS. Those of you that are Democrats, those of you Republicans, just anybody. Why would anybody in that position need to have a private email server? Well, I think we can all assume that this person wants to keep this emails uh, out of the public eye. This wasn't anything that was declared. Nobody knew about it. So she's running this private email server in her own home. I mean, do, do any of you have an email server? You know, and she's up there acting like she doesn't even know. Oh, I don't even know. You, you said wipe the disk. This is when she's being questioned. Do you mean like, like, how would you wipe it? Like with Clorox, or you bleach the disk? I don't understand. Like she acted, you know, played the dummy. Does anybody think that someone that stupid about emails and email servers that that seemingly retarded when it comes to the technology would have a server in their home? Any of you thinking of putting an email server, a physical server in your house? Why wouldn't you do that? Well, I, I, first of all, why would I need it? OK, good question. Second of all, what do I know about 
technology. What do I know about maintaining servers and all that? Exactly. So for Hillary to say, oh, I had no idea. Uh, come on, man. And in, in the famous words of Joseph Robinette uh, Biden. Okay, so that would be an example. So when she got caught, rather than try to deny and lie about it, she played dumb, like she could do a limited hangout. Yeah, oh yeah, no, but, but I had it, and it was I was confused, and I had a vendor, and then and then they got James Comey. Oh, we're gonna do oh we're gonna do a big investigation on this, and uh, uh, yep, nothing. We we couldn't find any. We went through everything. Looks good. I mean, yeah, yeah naughty, naughty. Uh, that was a mistake for sure, but doesn't seem like there was anything bad going on. And uh, meanwhile, she's trying to run for president. So that was a limited hangout. You kind of put it out there. You obfuscate, you kind of misrepresent it, you get uh, some uh, friends and allies to run interference, and meanwhile, you get to keep the bigger operation at play. Now, what was Hillary's bigger operation? Was it just to win the presidency? I mean, some people think yes, some people think the Clinton Foundation, and there was some really bad stuff going on there and, and, and continues to go on there. Who knows? But the fact of the matter being, that was a limited hangout. And so uh, Ms. Morabito, Stella Morabito, is arguing that this seeming about face in the media and among some of our higher level public officials, namely the CDC chairperson, you know, head director, you've got all these pretty hardcore uh, progressive news media outlets like CNN and and mouthpieces of the progressive left, they're seemingly doing an about face. And she's arguing that this is a limited hangout, that they are not coming clean, that there's a bigger operation at play. And the only way that they can continue to keep this thing going is if they do a limited hangout. If they say, hey, you know what, we're looking at this stuff and yeah, actually it's a good point. It seems like some of this data is messed up or or golly, you know what, this is looking um, to be a little different than we thought at first. And so what Stella's arguing is be ready. Now she's not claiming to know what's next, but she's saying be ready because the next shoe is going to drop. They're not going to just let you out of your cage. They're not going to just say, Mia culpa, sorry about that. My bad. We overplayed this one. We overreacted. Let's let's all move on. Huh? You know, what's for dinner tonight? <laughs> She's saying that this is a limited hangout, and the reason for the limited hangout is to protect the bigger operation. Now, one of the interesting things about deception, limited hangouts, propaganda lies. The best ones are based in truth. The best ones are based in truth. So, so you have to, like, if you and I are saying something doesn't add up, and then eventually the enemy says, you know what, you're right. The math does seem off. Then we're going to be more likely to go, oh, see, they have got religion. They understand the truth. The truth is coming out. But if, there is, if we were to say something doesn't add up, the math doesn't seem right, and, there is, and they were to say, no, 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 what you don't understand is there's a race of space aliens that have been shooting COVID at us, and we didn't want to tell you because if we told you, everyone would freak out. But the fact is, COVID is being laser beamed through the atmosphere from the planet Glarg. And the Glargians, as soon as they get us all infected, are going to take over the race and suck our brains out because that's how they live. 
They find planets like ours and they suck the brains out of people. So the reason we had to lie, we just don't want to freak everybody out. And so you got to trust us on this vaccine because it's how we're going to fight the Glargians. If you hear something like that, you that's just, that's about the most ridiculous thing. I, and, and listener, dear listener, I feel ridiculous even saying that. I'm making up these examples as I'm going and I'm like, well, where does that come from? I'm ashamed of myself, Glargians. So, but it's so ridiculous, you wouldn't believe it because there's nothing about that that's true. Nothing, not a shred. And so it's not a very effective piece of propaganda. It's not a very effective lie because it doesn't contain anything that smells true. And so the really good propaganda, the really good deception involves some truth. That's how con, that's how the con game is played. That's how con man, confidence man uh, does it. They, they play off of things that are true and they kind of trick you by making you key in on those things and you don't realize kind of the bigger game that's happening. So if you look around, it's not too hard to see what's going on around us. I mean, you've got this, this great reset, build back better nonsense. And there's just this aggressive push, uh, you know, through, through ideological Marxism. You know, you've got your Antifa, Black Lives Matter, defund the police. We're going to rewrite history. We're going to reframe history. We're going to reframe mankind's problems. We're going to reframe what it means to be a human being. Oh my gosh, the planet isn't surviving. We're overpopulated. You got to stop eating meat. You're going to have to start eating bugs. I mean, just, you know, if you're, you're horrible, if you're a white person and, you know, the Republicans and it's just on and on and on. So there's definitely a push to reframe the truth, <laughs> reframe the narrative. And there's definitely a push to restructure society. I, th I think it's hard to ignore that we are in the midst of a restructuring of society. And I don't think we talk about that enough. We, yes, we talk about the fact that, you know, build back better is BS. We talk about Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum's founder and, uh, you know, a stand in double f f for a, you know, Mike Myers, uh, evil genius in a movie. Uh, you know, he's got his book, The Great Reset. All of us have seen that little video clip and my buddy Dave sent that to me as well. But we've all been talking about this. You'll own nothing and, and be happy. That It's like a little two minute clip at the most. It's just this and there's no audio, it's just images and music with some with some animated type graphics. You know, you'll own nothing and be happy and uh, you'll eat, uh, you'll eat way less meat to protect our, your healthy environment. It'll be a special treat. You know, there's all the stuff that's going to be different about the future, the near future. So it's obvious that, that the structures of society, the structure of our, of our existence is being reformulated, reframed, reimagined. And this has been going on uh, for a long time. You know, Morabito in her article does touch on the Frankfurt School and that they've had this 100-year effort where they've been trying to reframe everything. And, you know, this is where we get critical theory. Now, you and I often hear about critical race theory, but critical theory, the Frankfurt School were the critical theorists. And these guys like Adorno and um, 
and his crew, I'm going to go blank on some of the other names in the moment, but they were the critical theorists and they would apply critical theory to the various structures and, and institutions of society. So they'd apply it to law, they'd apply it to race relationships, they'd apply it to economics, they'd rep- apply it to the family, to religion, education, and the whole effort here is to deconstruct these things, whether it's the family, whether it's law, whether it's whatever, deconstruct them down into their parts and then reformulate them in a way that they think is better. This is how we're going to progress forwards as a race, the human race, not a race, not a, not a genetic, uh, not, not a, uh, you know, skin type race, but as the human race. Now, see, I've gone blank there. Like, what? What's the difference between? How would you articulate the difference between race and race? You've got, you've got. I want to say genetic race, but that is human too. So you've got the human race. We are a race of beings, and then you've got races within. That's. I'm interested to look that up at some point. Like, why? How is that used uh, interchangeably? And yet, it means something a little different. Anyway, the critical theorists, the Frankfurt School folks, have this vision of the ongoing progress, the progression of humanity, and that we can create our own utopia, that we can fashion ourselves and our societies and our world into something that's utopian, that we can accomplish our own secular version of heaven on earth, that we don't need God we don't need Christ. We don't need religion. We don't need, need tradition. We don't need the past. We don't need Western civilization. We don't need the old ideas of good and evil that we can create ourselves. It's, it's an effort of self-creation, which is just insanity. When you look within yourself, I mean, what's there really? We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other to grow, to be challenged, to see our weaknesses, to, 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 to recognize our strengths and, and to become mature and to become whole and to become fulfilled and to help others find fulfillment. And yet this idea of self-creation, it's like, I, you know, I, I'm the ultimate artist. I am God. Whereas the Christian Jewish God speaks the world into existence in Genesis fashions it, creates it out of nothing. He speaks it into existence. He is this amazing entity that can somehow speak the cosmos into existence. And then through his creative genius, populate the cosmos with beings and entities and worlds and so on. And yet the Frankfurt School, the critical theorists say, no, 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 no. That's not, we don't want anything to do with that. We don't want some outside entity. We want to be God. And each one of us can be a God. You can fashion yourself into whatever it is you want. It doesn't matter who you are now. It's who you decide you'd like to be. And it's self-creation. You are the ultimate artist. You're the ultimate creator. You're the ultimate designer. And there's nothing else. Anything that stands in the way of you realizing your vision for yourself is evil. And anything that supports you and allows you to fashion and create the you that you desire, that you envision, is good. This is where we get all this transgender nonsense. 
And I think things, and, and I'm not going to, I'm not judging anybody listening that has one. This is, but this is kind of like the, you know, similar to the idea of piercings and tattoos. I got my ear pierced when I was a young guy. I thought it was hip. And then I was 21 or 22 and I got a, you know, ear pierced. It was, it was a thing to do in the 90s. I regret it, uh, quite honestly. I mean, it was the late 80s. I can't remember, but I wish I never did. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's grown clothes, but like I think about these things and it's like, you know, you, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to augment ourselves to, to fashion ourselves into something that we're, that we appreciate more that we think is better. Now, look, that I'm not saying you shouldn't do, that's like saying like, don't exercise or don't lift weights or, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, you can take that too far. And that's why I'm saying I'm not getting down on tattoos. I'm just saying things like tattoos, I, th I think are almost like a manifestation of the spirit of the age, which is this idea that you can adorn yourself in certain ways and create a you that you like better and a you that th you can present to the world. But, but you're not focusing on what kind of human being am I? You're not saying, what is my heart like? What is my mind like? What is my soul like? How do I treat people? We tend to, to focus on the aesthetic and the sexual aspects, the consumptive aspects of ourselves. And so we define ourselves by our consumption. I love, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm a, you know, uh, Rick and Morty fan. Like we get all wound up about the Avengers or the DC or the Marvel universe. Like we get very, we get our identities wrapped up in what we're consuming from an entertainment perspective. We do the same thing with food. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I eat uh, gluten and I'm finding out corn as well. And they bother me. They cause inflammation. They make my stomach kind of feel gross. It's just, it's not a good gig, man. I'm not going to tell you I'm, I'm, I'm allergic to gluten. Like if somebody feeds me pasta, I can eat it. But if I do that two or three days in a row, I'm miserable. And I'm finding too that corn is doing the same thing. But, but that's just an example. Like we, we define ourselves by our food consumption. I'm vegan. I'm gluten-free. I'm paleo. I'm pescatarian. Like, okay, those are all fine. Like, but we are defining ourselves by our consumption and we are defining ourselves by our aesthetic. You know, look at, I got a sleeve and that's a tattoo all the way down your arm. You know, or this guy's jacked and ripped or it's the hairstyle, it's the look. It's like, we're very much into the aesthetic and the consumption and our sexuality. It's like, you know, what are you? Well, I'm a turf, trans exclusionary radical feminist. You know, and then somebody else is like, well, I'm, I'm trans friendly or I am transgender. I'm asexual. And there's all these different, I can't keep a pansexual. There are all these different ways that people are defining themselves. They're trying to, to discover an identity. They're trying to figure out, well, who am I? And, and on, upon doing that, they're just saying, well, I'm going to decide who I am by choosing my sex, by choosing my consumption and by choosing uh, aesthetics. Now, all three of those things, sexuality, consumption, and aesthetics are not evil. I'm not down on those things. I, I happen to enjoy all of them <laughs> to varying degrees. And, and I'm grateful for my sex. I'm, I'm grateful to be, to be a male, et cetera. Like I, I, I do identify as a male, like God made me a, a male and I do go through life with that identity. That's, that's not, wrong. But like, it's not my sole identification. It's not, I don't go around telling people, I don't even think in those terms. 
but our modern world, we're, we're very much into this identity and, and self-creation. And so I think as, as we're moving forward and we think about how critical theory has ripped down the institutions that would have defined us before. Hey, you're born Catholic. If you're, if you're Polish and Catholic, if you're Italian and Catholic, or maybe you're Scottish and Presbyterian, like those things for you in years past, you were born into those things. Those were traditions handed down. That was part of your family's identity. It was part of your identity. You were proud of these things. There, there, weren't, there wasn't anything to be shameful about around those things. What, what really shame would have been about your character and your behavior you know, did you, did you, as a father and a husband, leave a family of four children, all young, and a wife for your, uh, your, 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 the, your office uh, administrator? Do you run off and just leave this family behind, destitute, not taking care of them? Well, that's shameful. Why? Because you're a male? No. It's shameful because it's shameful behavior. It's the content in, of your heart, your character, your actions. And so what we're doing is we're moving away from a world where the content of an individual uh, and, and the traditions that they are a part of and the institutions that they are a part of defines them into a world where we're defining ourselves. And this is the critical theory. This is the Frankfurt School that you can fashion and create yourself. All that to say, that's us on an individual and a small community level. But this reordering of society is in full swing. This is the project of the progressive left. It doesn't matter what country you live in. This is the project of the progressive left. It doesn't matter what the political party is. You can have people that are Republicans that are progressive in nature. Sure, they might say on the stage that I'm against abortion or whatever, but I'm for small business and free markets. But they may have a very progressive worldview. And so this is what we're seeing. And so in this article, Morbido argues that don't think these revelations, these coming clean uh, of, of the elites is any way an admission of a mistake or an about face or an ending of the bigger project, which is the reordering and restructuring of human society and human experience, by the way but is rather what she is calling uh, in what the CIA and intelligence agencies call the limited hangout. This is the limited hangout. We're going to put it out there. We're going to wrap it in a little bit of truth and, and misinformation. People are going to get happy. And meanwhile, we're going to continue on with our bigger project, which I think is this reordering of society. And the problem with this reordering of society is it gets at the deeper question of what does it mean to be human? The Frankfurt School, not just them, but the progressive left, those that want to create a utopia, think that being human means whatever you want it to mean. If you want to add technology into your body and be a transhumanist, if you want to cut off your genitals and get implants and go from being a man to a woman, if you want to define your life experience through consumption, 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 like a pig in a trough, then so be it. That's up to you. And anyone that would stand in the way of that is evil. 
Now, I would argue the problem with this is twofold. There's more than two. But first of all, the problem is I would argue that human beings can't find happiness that way. You look at some of the data, and just all how you interpret it, you look at the data, and just as, you know, picking on the, on the transgender community, that, you know, high, 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 high suicide rate. I don't have the number at my fingertips, but it's outrageous. I mean, the number of suicides amongst that and attempted suicides, it's off the chain, out of control. Now, they would argue that's because society doesn't accept them. And if we would just be nicer to them, those rates of suicide would dramatically drop, and they become like the rest of society. Now, that might be true on, uh, in a certain way, which is kind of a fake. It might be true if we all just stopped giving them a hard time, which I don't know that we are, but let's say we made it perfectly easy and acceptable to be trans, and they were being super medicated with things like Prozac or whatever, then yeah, maybe the suicide rate goes down. Maybe. But I think that the reason for the suicide is because this is a person who is deeply disturbed, deeply broken, deeply damaged. They are out of integrity with their sexuality. They were made a certain way. They have feelings, and I'll give them that. I'm not saying that they don't feel this is fake. Let's say they're real feelings. But just because it's real doesn't mean it's good. Just because it's real doesn't mean it should be embraced. We all have things that are real that we need to work on. We all have things that are real that are not good for us. We all have appetites and desires and so on. And oftentimes when somebody has these kind of extreme, even homosexuality, when they have extreme uh, out of the norm appetites, desires, and so on, it's because of some type of thing that happened to them before. Often these people, I mean, statistically, a lot of them suffered sexual abuse when they were young. Now, that might be changing a little bit as, as mothers are pushing their kids into trans uh, transitioning just because it's stylish, hip, and cool. It's like for a mother, some of these mothers, it's just they're horrible people. You know, it's all about them. They're narcissists, and they want to be popular, and to have a child that's, that's trans is like, it's the it thing, if you can believe it. I mean, I don't know what kind of crazy we're living in. But just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean that it's good, right, or, or even healthy. And so I think, you know, we're seeing these numbers mainly because people are out of integrity with how they've been created, and we need to help them. I think we need to be compassionate, gracious, and supportive. But I think at the same time, let's not kid ourselves. This isn't good. It's not ideal for someone to be wrestling with this. It's not a good thing. And, uh, and we should be working as a society to help people through that and out of it through, through rehabilitation and, and therapeutic treatment and love. So my argument is that I, I don't think that human beings can find fulfillment and happiness through this pathway. I don't think that self-creation, that authoring oneself can provide fulfillment or happiness and, and just the opposite. I think it leads to extreme misery. I think it, it leads to deeper and deeper and deeper issues and problems that one has to wrestle with. Essentially what it is, it's the hollowing out of the human being. It's, it's the destruction of the experience of, of being human. It's dehumanizing. You're taking a race, <laughs> that was made in the image of God and you're hollowing it out and, and, and leveling them, like I said, 
uh, with pigs in a trough, and they weren't designed for that. We weren't designed for that. The ancients knew something when they saw the beauty, the grace of wonderful art and music, the drama, the passion of the human struggle of mankind trying to find his place in the cosmos, wrestling with the gods. There's, there's great drama and beauty and, and depth in these things. And we cast them aside because we want to have pink hair and walk with a little swish in our hips. And, and, and freak out on the latest sci-fi Netflix series and eat pizza from a giant corporation. This is the human experience. We've, we've, we're stripping it out of its beauty. So it's interesting. Now, I said on two levels. The first level I talked about, I said, this won't work because I don't think that... Uh, that this leads to human fulfillment, unfortunately. Now, the second thing for me with this that doesn't work is this question of truth, this question of reality. You know, we, 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 <laughs> we like this idea that we can fashion our own truth, that we can fashion our own reality, that we can even author or fashion ourselves. But there's a flaw in that because the question for me, and I think the philosophers of the ages, because that's who I'm associated with. Me and the philosophers of the ages have asked this question. Dear listener, no one else has. It's just me and the philosophers. <laughs> the question I have, and I think the question that mankind has asked through the ages and, and all of us are asking, what is truth? If is truth, is can truth be relative? And is truth something that I can fashion for myself? I think the answer definitively is no. I think there is a relativistic aspect to truth in the sense that how I experience something may be different than how you exper experience it. Excuse me. So we both observe an event. We're going to see it through our own lens and our own experiences. And we may perceive that event a little differently or very differently. Okay, I'll give you that. But that is not the same as saying that we create the truth. That event is what it is. We can't change that. We can't change what the event is. But how we experience the event is going to be different based on the different individuals observing it. When you get into this, I'm going to create my own truth. It's all relative. So I'm going to create like, yeah, I was born a male, but I'm going to just decide to be a woman. I'm either going to go through surgery or dress differently or whatever. I mean, fill in the blanks. When you do that, the question remains, is that person still a man or is that person really a woman? And I think that matters, not just about the transgender, but just an issue, but in general, because we will then create a world for ourselves that we are arguing is true. It has veracity. You can verify this thing, but it's all based on what we've chosen or decided or fashioned for ourselves. So my question is, in addition to my first issue, which is, I don't think people can be fulfilled and find happiness in this world that we are re-engineering and reimagining for ourselves, the society that we're restructuring. I don't think that this is going to lead to human happiness, but just the opposite. It's going to lead to human misery and dehumanization. But secondly, 
I don't think that this world that we're engineering, that we're fashioning, reordering is based on truth. Now, I think the flaw, like on the left, is they're saying, well, we can create laws that force people to recognize that woman's sex or that force people to get inoculated or force people to not say certain things because we'll strip out their bank account and make it impossible for them to eat or drink or have a roof over the head. We will force people to behave in the ways that we see fit. And we've seen from the left that their ways are not ways of truth. We're all about self-authoring and reframing and deconstructing and synthesizing everything to the point where it doesn't bear any resemblance to reality. Now, here's the problem with that. You could say that if we got clever enough and our technology was sophisticated enough, both our mechanical and our electronic and our pharmaceutical technology was sophisticated enough that we could refashion the human experience. But the problem with all that is reality has a habit of imposing itself upon us. Mankind is not sophisticated or clever enough to overcome reality. And here's, here's an example. And, and I have to go to violence because the violence is one of the most primal ways that we experience reality. That's why we're terrified of it. That's why it's so painful, et cetera, et cetera. Violence is the most primal way that we experience reality. You can walk around and tell everybody that you are a top flight you know, kickboxer, that you're the baddest ass in the town, you're bad, bad Leroy Brown, all that kind of stuff. But if you can't back that up, someone's going to knock your teeth in at some point. And that experience of being smashed in the face, it's going to be fraught with terror and pain and confusion and disorientation and it's not good. Anybody that's ever been punched, even if it's not terribly, like, you know, that kind of violence is, it'll rattle you. And it can leave post-traumatic stress afterwards. I mean, that's why they call it post, Mike. Uh, so, so when you bump up against reality, reality will always win. You can walk around and say you are what you are. Oh, I'm whatever you think you want to be. I'm this, I'm that. You know, you could you could blame all your problems on systemic racism. You could say all cops are bad cops. You could you could go through all, you know, pick whatever thing that's du jour and you can just run with that thing and just and, and look at the world through that lens and you can decide that this is how I understand and see the world. This is the truth. But at the end of the day, when the fists start flying, you cannot deny the reality of getting smashed in the face, both literally and metaphorically speaking. And that day is coming. We think we're fancy. We think we're cute. Our, the elites think that they can do what they want to do and they can get away with it. I'm telling you, this can go on for a long time. But at some point, reality will crash through. This is, I mean, you know, he's a hack, but this is Michael Crichton's story, isn't it? Jurassic Park. If you've read the books or maybe you've seen the fine films, the cinematic tour de force that is Jurassic Park and it's 13, you know, uh, spinoffs. I, I don't know how many Jurassic Parks there are, but I'm sure that's quite a franchise. 
But this idea that you can tinker with nature, you can try to play with it, you can do all these things, but at the end of the day, nature, and this isn't truth or real, but nature always gets through. It breaks free. We can't, like mankind gets full of himself. There's this pride, this arrogance. The proverb says, pride comes before a destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. We're full of ourselves. There's hubris. We think we can do it through science. And this is, you know, we've talked about science before and previous episodes, and we'll talk about it again. We're just full of ourselves. We think we can do it all. And that's what the left is saying. This is what those social, uh, the critical theorists are saying. This is what the elites are saying. This is what the media is saying, that we can do it. We can do it through science. We can create the world, fashion the world that we want. We can, we can get rid of the old world. We can, we can reject the West. We can reject you know, white culture and Western culture and just all these things that we can fashion this beautiful rainbow nation of freaks and geeks in the future. And we can do it through science and technology. It's handmaiding and hand, handmade and all stuff. But even the Michael Crichton, the cheesy Michael Crichton mo- movies and books, they're trying to tell us that, that, that this, is a, a, this is a fable, a narrative. It's kind of a, a, a warning. This is an age old mankind thing that we know that, that, that we get filled with hubris and we fly too close to the sun and reality takes over. Icarus, Icarus, flying too close to the sun. Reality takes over. And I think when you put these two things together, a, a, a planet filled with unfulfilled, miserable, dehumanized people, and the fact that reality will always come crashing through, and, and it often when it does comes through in violence, that there's something that will force the elites, society, and so on, to come to terms to reckon with the evil that they are perpetrating upon the race. I just don't think this is sustainable. You cannot escape reality. Reality doesn't care what you choose. Reality doesn't care how you identify. And that goes for right and left. If you're on the right wing or the left wing, I don't, I don't really care. Reality doesn't care what you think. The truth does not change for you or for I. Actually, I should have said me. I think that's the appropriate grammatically correct pronoun. The truth doesn't care what we think. It does not stop for a moment and say, well, what are your pronouns, Mike? It doesn't care. It doesn't care what my political persuasion is. It doesn't care what my faith is. It doesn't care about any of those things. The truth is it always was, it always is, and it always shall be. The truth is transcendent. It does not live trapped within this world like you and I. It's not affected by the weather. It's not affected by the stock market. It's not affected by relationships. It is and is to come and always will be. Now, I happen to know that that truth is personified in Christ. I know some listeners will agree with that and others will not. But I would challenge you this way. We are all part of this postmodernist, subjectivist world We are all suffering at the hands of the elites and the world that they are trying to craft. This idea that the progressives want to create a secular heaven on earth, this utopia. 
I think if you're listening to this, you probably have an inkling, at least if not firmly agree, that this utopia will really be a hell on earth. So my challenge for you is, have you found the truth? How do you understand the truth? This has to go beyond science and data points. Data and science can only tell us what is materially, but it can't tell us what is true. And quite frankly, if you're saying, well, no, it can tell us what's true, then you're in trouble because science can never give us a perfectly accurate reading of anything because it's limited both by the scientists that are taking the measurements and the instruments, whether physical or or metaphorical, that they're using to get their readings. You know, almost all of social science, you know what the instruments are? Surveys. They do surveys. Oh, science studies show, studies, oh, studies. When you hear studies, you think all these people are wired up and they're taking all kinds of blood samples and they're going around with a clipboard taking a survey. Half the time they talk to a hundred people and they make some big sweeping discovery. We Do you know, do you know that uh, I mentioned Adorno earlier? Um, he, he was one of the Frankfurt school. He's famous. He wrote a book, Theodore Adorno uh, wrote a book called, I want to say it's, it was the, uh, Oh, it's not the conservative personality. It was like the, oh shoot, I'm going to go blank. I'll look it up while we talk. But essentially, this book was was a was a scientific study, and it showed that the personality of the the kind of conservative right wing uh, person was very much based on repressive feelings. It was broken. You know, it was one of these like people that hold right wing conservative beliefs and all that jazz that they're really messed up people. Uh, they've, they've, um, they've had all kinds of issues and, and he kind of positioned it that anybody that's, you know, the people that are like healthy, emotionally healthy, intellectually healthy, you know, they, they're, um, well adjusted. Well, these people would have very progressive, uh, traits. So if someone has very kind of right wing traits that these people are, um, you know, they're messed up. Something bad happened to them. Oh, I know it is. It's, I think it's, was it like the uh, uh, authoritarian personality? Oh, gosh, come on. I'm, I'm on his Wikipedia page. Uh, works. So I'm looking here, scanning, because there's a lot of them. I'm um, just trying to find here. Come on now. Oh, I can't find it. Come on. Why is this so hard? Why is this so hard, ladies and gentlemen? Here I am, one-handed typing uh, to try to help you learn. I, why can't I? But I think it's like the authoritarian personality. I, it, I'm pretty sure it was like 1950, 1953. And so what he showed is that anybody that's got any type of conservative thinking, any right-wing thinking, anything that's just traditional, et cetera, oh, these people are really messed up. Oh, they're authoritarians. Oh my gosh, they're horrible. And they were probably abused as children. Anybody that's very, you know, uh, modern and liberal and progressive, well, these are well-adjusted people. Do you know how he conducted that whole scientific study? And the, the people went, oh, it's a gaga, scientific study. He, he had a clipboard and he conducted a very rudimentary set of survey questions to a small handful of people. This was not, this was not a big study. It was, it was kind of uh, pathetic. And yet it has set the stage even to this day about how people think about right-wing thinking and how they position it was accept, it was it was accepted as as gospel because why science so 
even if you say that science can tell us what's true, you're wrong because science is incapable. It's tools, the instruments that it uses, whether it's a microscope or uh, a survey, it's incapable of giving us a very accurate picture. It can only measure so closely. So it can give us sometimes a fuzzy picture of what is, or sometimes a more accurate, but it can never get down to the very essence of the thing. It just, it, it's incapable. And so I'm just encouraging you guys as I close here, for each and every one of you, you, you have to find a source for truth, especially in this world. We, we are being fed so many lies. There are so many competing narratives. Even with this limited hangout, we're being lied to. And we're being lied to to protect the bigger operation. And that bigger operation is the restructuring, the reordering of human society and the human experience. And this is not good. This will not end well. Uh, so yeah, I appreciate you guys spending time with me today. I'd love to know what you think about this. You can get in touch with me a handful of ways. Probably the easiest way is just to go to my website, mikegaston.com. There's a, a way to leave a comment down at the bottom. Just, just jump down there and uh, you can send me an email through the comment uh, box on the homepage uh, contact form, as they say in the industry. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. I, I, I interact with people there. Uh, and of course, you're welcome to just uh, shoot me an email. It's mike at mikegaston.com. I'd love to hear from you. Always enjoy interacting with you, my audience. It makes this podcast worth it. Guys, I love you all. I hope you have a great week and I will talk to you in the next episode.